0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never-Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator-backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we wanna pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 seven maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on-demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right, we are live. Uh, I'm Ethan, the CEO of Latchel here uh, with my co-founder, Will Gordon, and Peter McKenzie, who we'll introduce in just a second.
1: Yeah, so when Ethan and I got started with Latchel, originally we were going to take uh, my grandfather's property management company and turned into a very tech-enabled company. But very quickly, we just saw how much there is to do in property management and saw a huge opportunity in just the maintenance and maintenance side only. Uh, but in the process, just talking to so many property managers, we saw the struggles people have growing their business from their first first few doors to their first few hundred and beyond. And so we know how hard it can get started and get going. That's why we have Peter here to help talk about that.
0: Yeah. So. Uh... Peter is one of Latchel's longest customers. I think you've been with us two years or something close to two years, maybe even longer at this point, maybe two and a half years. Feels like 25 years. Um, (laughs) But uh, you've done an incredible job managing your company, managing the operation while having other things to do on the side. Um, You've grown your company in excess of 100 units, and we'll dig in today on how you did that and learn a little bit more about you, Peter. Welcome to the show. All
2: right. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So maybe we can start out by just getting like a, a current status of here, your, your business and you.
2: Sure. So, uh, name of the company is Rincom property management We're or residential property management company in Ventura, which is in Southern California, kind of north of LA, Los Angeles and south of Santa Barbara, right on the coast. So um, we're young. We're a new company. We're going on our fifth year, and we just have about 140 uh, doors under management. And yeah, we're we're typical property management company. All the same issues that all of the other property manager companies deal with. Maintenance being a huge one of them, one of the problems that uh, everybody everybody has to conquer if they're going to start growing. And I feel like we've you know we finally conquered it, and now we're Starting to see our growth uh, quicken, to, you know, versus before when we were bogged down and some of the other operational issues that needed to be solved. So,
0: awesome. Can you give us a little bit more information? Or information on like what your portfolio currently looks like? Is it all single family? Is it like next?
2: Oh, sure. So, I'd say, just off the top of my head, probably seventy-five percent are single-family houses rents in our area, the average is, you know, between $2,500 and $3,000 a month. So we're in a higher rent area. Um, as far as what the other 25% is, it's small multifamily. So duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. And then we do have just a couple of actual commercial size, small commercial apartment buildings. We don't do commercial, um, businesses, just, you know, residential stuff.
1: Gotcha. so you're keeping under what's the 16 uh, unit limit where you have to have like on-site maintenance in California?
2: Yeah, at 16, you have to have a responsible party on-site. Most people call them like a resident okay, manager. I mean,
1: yeah. So you, is your full portfolio below that 16 threshold?
2: Uh, right now, yes. Although we were looking at a couple recently to take on that, were more, but um, but for now, yeah.
0: Was that intentional or just sort of on accident?
2: Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, once I started. Looking into or essentially, we were contacted by some larger multifamily you know owners, and that caused us to kind of really evaluate, is this what we want to do? Mm-hmm. Is it, for them if they're smaller, it's very similar, but when you get bigger, you know larger properties where there's budgets that are involved and on-site staff and payroll for staff, it, it gets a little more complicated. It's definitely a specialty area that um I'm abs- I'm absolutely not focusing on right now. Right now I'm fo- we're focused on our bread and butter three bedroom two bath house that rents for, you know, 3000 bucks a month. That's our
1: that's yeah. what we're good at. I, so, I think that's the really smart thing with any you're focusing on growth, you know, focus on what you know and get that mm-hmm. absolutely right before moving on to something completely unknown. I'd um, yeah. love to know like what were you doing before you started the property management company?
2: So I never, you know, I didn't wake up one day and said I want to own a property management company or be a property manager or anything like that. I was a real estate investor. I have my own personal rental properties and never really was kind of happy with the level of service I was getting from the property management companies I had managing my properties, some out of state, some locally. And I've had the opportunity, I guess is probably a generous word to be a client for a lot of some of my competitor who are people who are now my competitors and I never was really happy and I knew it wasn't rocket science. Like it's not the concept. Everybody understands the concept. You rent the house out, you collect the rent, you fix something when it breaks and you know, everybody's happy. It's a simple concept, but I just never was pleased with the, you know, the service I was getting. So eventually when it made sense, I decided to open up RenCon and essentially do it myself. And, that was, like I said, about five years ago, but I, I also have another career, I guess, if you will, outside of owning Rencon property management that takes a lot of my time as well.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that career yeah. outside yeah. of
2: Rencon? I'm a, I am a captain that w- with the Ventura Fire Department. So I, you know, basically ride around on a fire engine, approximately 10 days a month, um, doing fighting fires or medical calls or what, you know, all the stuff we do with the fire service. So it it, it
1: feels a lot like property management sometimes just running around putting out fires.
2: (laughs) Absolutely does. What the one advantage it gives me is any of the property management fires or issues that need to be put out. They usually pale in comparison to the stuff we deal with at the fire department. Those are like, you know, true emergencies for a lot of people.
1: Gives you perspective.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) much
1: needed perspective.
2: Yeah. When like, you know, a pipe is broken and there's water on the floor, it's really not that big of a deal. Like you just do what, you know, you, you know you're supposed to do and everybody moves on versus if you didn't have that perspective, maybe it would seem worse. I don't know. But.
0: So it sounds like you're spending like 40% of your time being a firefighter and then maybe 60% or even maybe less, maybe 50% of your working time being a property manager.
2: Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a balancing act for sure. And it's just by the nature of the schedule and it's forced me to, you know, put systems and procedures in place to automate a lot of what we do just because I don't have the luxury of being here 24
1: Uh. seven.
2: That was a challenge at the time, but in the end it it made us a much better company. And, you know, I don't have to be here every day for the, the nuts and bolts of the company to run and work, which is good. Because I can't. I mean, eventually, you know, I may leave the fire department when when the time is right, and then I could be here full time. But because I can't, it's forced us to use third-party providers like your guys, like Latchell, to solve some of our issues and outsource. I mean, there's a there's a solution for pretty much any problem that comes up in property management, as I'm sure in any business. But uh, we're very we. I look forward, you know, to the future rely heavily on technology, you know, other people's talents. Like I'm not that guy that says I'm the only guy who can do this and no one can do it better than me. Therefore, I'm going to do it all myself. That's a recipe for for disaster. So.
0: Was it that same way when you started RenCon? No. You kind of split time or were you more, more. focused?
2: Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. The, well, when I started RenCon, I actually had a, part, a business partner who was another fireman that I worked with at the fire department. So there was two of us. And we were, you know, brand new. So there wasn't as much work as there is now, Mm. but, um, no, we were a disaster when we started for sure. We didn't, (laughs) we didn't know all the systems and the best practices and it was, yeah, we learned a lot quickly. I mean, it's trial by fire for sure.
0: Yeah. How'd you get your first unit?
2: It was through our, an existing network. So uh, there's a a handful of firemen who also invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. And once we got into the business, it was relatively easy to you know, to take on some of their properties. It's kind but, of got like um, a good base with like the word of mouth, just kind of through friends. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I made colossal, colossal mistakes in the beginning. And one of the worst mistakes we ever made, which we, we, we thought through quite a bit, which you would think we would have made a better decision, is we decided we were going to undercut the market pr- on price, which was a big mistake. Because we, we definitely undercut the market and we grew as a result of it, but we grew with all the wrong clients. We attracted the wrong clients. Mm. Not that all of them are bad because I still have a lot of them from them from that time, but it, it attracted a lot of clients who just cared about price and didn't care about anything else. And those mm. are the clients that will you know burn you out and cause all kinds of problems for you.
0: How did you deal with that? Like when you're in your growth phase,
2: Oh, it was, he- I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was hectic. It, there was a lot of conflict. It was, you know, sleepless nights and stress until, you know, we figured it out. Like what, you know, with the help of, you know, other people, how to write the ship, if you will. And I went through a time, I bought my business partner out uh, probably two and a half years ago. And then, then went on a, like a firing spree and we let go. I probably let go maybe 20 or 30% of our clients just, cut them out, fired them, essentially. Hmm. And that freed up so much, like, mental capacity of me, of the people that were on our team, so we could then focus on taking care of our good clients and putting systems in place and, you know, preparing ourselves to actually grow and attract the type of client that we wanted.
1: Hmm.
0: Did it take the whole kind of two and a half years before you saw it? recognized um, that
2: or? definitely well let's see before we before i bought my business partner out we made a conscious choice to not take on new business so we could like consolidate what we had and you know oh. fix it, essentially but in hindsight that also was a mistake because our pipeline just essentially stopped then and then once we in the process of that i bought my partner out and then I fired all those clients. Well, yeah, it took me probably six months to a year for us to refill the pipeline with new clients and like actually see some measurable growth.
1: Huh. So
2: yeah, that, one, that was a big mistake we, we both made by stopping new business from coming on. And then, yeah, once I cut all the clients that you know weren't the best fit for us, it took some time. But, but the good news is, is once it, turned around, it hasn't stopped. It's, you know, it's just gotten better and better. So.
1: Awesome. Huh. How do you build pipeline?
2: It's just a matter of, so here's the other thing. One of my biggest challenges is I never advertised. I didn't, I didn't spend money on, you know, Google ads or we just didn't advertise. It was all word of mouth. And in the beginning we were so cheap. I think that's what spread our, you know, gave us the best uh, advertising to anybody just because they knew we were the cheapest but once that changed um, it w- literally was all word of mouth and huge on our reputation so our reputation on Yelp and Google is really high higher than our competitors so we had a lot of our business from there as well but now going into where we're currently at which is right at about 140 doors I, I want our growth to you know be a lot faster so now I'm starting to put channels in on where to you know where to market and get new clients from one of those is as simple as we have a virtual assistant who calls all the for rent by owners and for sale by owners and sees if they're interested in working with us or we send out um, marketing packets to stale uh, real estate sales to their agents and we get we're starting to get referrals from agents quite a bit so my goal for the the end of last year was to put two like Steady marketing streams out there, and we've done that. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've got things in the future we're trying to do, but it's kind of where we're at.
0: How do you go about like planning for like the year? Yeah, you kind of mentioned you have that you wanted to get two marketing streams out. Do you have like a process for creating that strategy and implementing it?
2: Uh, nothing formal, but all one I in the when I was a little the, the company was a little younger i was way more ambitious with what i thought we could you know change and take on and implement and i quickly found out that it's not that easy i mean you can't to put two you know giant changes into your business it, it has a ripple effect to other areas it's not that easy so mm-hmm. um I, I go i belong to a lot of the industry associations i've gone to some of the conferences and you know get ideas from there on best practices you know what works for other people in your shoes because I mean, real estate is a localized, you know, economy type thing. But in reality, you know, managing properties and getting new clients, is pretty universal all across the country. So there's plenty of people who have done it and figured it out way before I ever came around. But as far as now, I essentially will, I try to implement like two things that's going to improve our company. And for instance, in 2020, have you read that book, Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman? Uh-oh, no, I mean, it's a great book, um, and not just for pro- it's not industry specific, but it's basically how to um, make your clients, you know, essentially love you and become your biggest fans and and refer people to you and and take care of your clients. You know, there's no there is a cost for um, churn or attrition. You know, when you lose clients, and the, that book is all about not losing clients and keeping them happy. So I want to institute a lot of what that was.
0: Uh, just I want to make sure I got the name right because I'm going to go out and read this next. Yeah. Never lose a customer again by Joey Coleman.
2: I, I think that's the title. I'm not 100 percent sure, but the author for sure. If, yeah, if you look for that, it'll come up. So that's one of the things I want to do, and then I want to start pushing more video online kind of presence uh, for ourselves as well, whether that's on you know Facebook videos or or wherever we're at. So that seems like a long winded answer to your question and I don't know, I don't even know if I really answered it, but hopefully that helps.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I actually wanna to touch on something you just mentioned and I'm only really touching on this cause I was literally just talking to another uh, lateral customer about half an hour ago about Facebook video and like how to use it, why to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal experience with Facebook video doing it more now than we've ever done before is that the, the way to think about the video content is less about like getting that person that's never seen you before to see the video, then come like sign up or, or book a time to talk with you. And it's actually more about building like a library of uh, like earning trust that when they come to your website or they go to your social profiles and they see you talking and they see your face, they can connect who you are to your company and they feel like more connected and it's really about building the connection more than anything
2: oh i can second that for sure so i have right now just one video on our, our landing page of our website and um my in our sales process um marcy who's my the first step in our sales process she always makes sure people know about that video and that they watch it mm-hmm. She it was the appointment for me to go out and meet with potential new clients and they always say, oh, I saw your video, great. And it's like they're my friend, even though we've never met. They kind of, they feel familiar with you and it, it's huge. And what I want to do with our videos is exactly what you're saying. If, one, it's a library of information. So, because the same questions come up over and over. I'm sure you get, yeah. you get the same exact ones. Um, but if they can go on there and click through 20 videos, if they really wanted to, you know, they would feel like they already kind of. You know understand the company and belong you know, buy into the our philosophy and then when you go meet them it's literally just to you know consummate the transaction and, and sign them up so w- without that video that's on there there's a difference like they don't know who they don't know who i am when i walk up to their door they've never heard me talk they've never met me versus when they've seen the video they you know it breaks down a barrier a little bit so my goal is to put more of those videos like have a library of videos on the website that i don't currently have so
1: yeah that's awesome i'd love to go back to something you're saying much earlier in, your, in the interview and it's something i think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is that that need to stop being the, the superman who's doing everything themselves and thinks that they do it the best and realizing you need to put in systems processes and trust other people to start handling that and you said it was a struggle in the beginning I'd, le- I'd love to hear more about that that struggle and that transition for you
2: Oh, it was absolutely a struggle. Um, I, I felt like I could do everything myself, but then once you get to a certain size, it's just physically impossible. Like you can't answer, you know, three hundred emails every day and then deal with the work that each one of those emails generated. Could I do all the stuff myself? Yeah, I could. But if I had a hundred hours a day, maybe I didn't sleep or have a family or anything else. But um, it was hard to give stuff up, but what I think helped me the most is I'm a big believer in outsourcing things that you're not good at, whether it's to someone on your team or a third party or somebody else. But um, the mindset shift was I had to just say, no, you're you're not the best at everything. It, it's impossible for that to be true. You need to hire, you need to put this in somebody else's wheelhouse who already knows how to solve the problem, already has a solution. I and mean, then you just need to have a little faith that it's going to work out so i think um perfect example is i was overwhelmed just because we were growing we were you know we we haven't talked about this but prior to solving my maintenance nightmare that was a big part of what took up my time and effort and also trying to grow the company on on the other side which are two obviously separate um things in the business I got to a point where it just you couldn't physically do anymore and then your health starts to suffer your other relationships start to suffer so i watched a podcast i forget which one it was and it had a, a gentleman on there who his main job was to source and hire executive assistants for business owners or executives and he had it down to a science and just listening to him talk was impressive because all of the things he was talking about were, were speaking right to me and At that point, I'm like, okay, all right, I'm sold. Like, I'm going to reach out to this person, see what they have to say. Was that
1: your first hire, an executive assistant?
2: Uh, No, it wasn't. It was my third? Second or third. Um, So I just basically put it in. I put Faith in his process and said, yep, let's do it. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. I I followed it to a T, and it's worked out like a dream. Um, So Marcy, who is my executive assistant, who's a big part of our team, She manages my email, my inbox, my calendar. She's the first point of contact for anybody interested in our company. She has like a discovery call with them and then then sets me up if it's if it's appropriate and a good fit. So it like it probably freed up, I don't know, fifty, sixty percent of my time just by that one thing. Wow. Paid for itself time and time again for sure. So I took that experience and went, "Wow, that was really cool." What are, What else can I do like this? And then hired another virtual assistant who freed up a bunch of time. And
1: so, what, what were the things that you had to change in order to make sure that Marcy was giving you the value that that you needed?
2: What did I have to change? I had to give up control. <laughs> I had to Go, okay, yes. I mean, it wasn't that hard to do. Once my big, your biggest fear is that someone's not going to do it as well as you, and then you're going to suffer as a result. Like you know, you're not going to bring on the clients that you could have brought if you did it yourself or whatever. Um, but you have to take a leap of faith and give up the control and see what happens. And then obviously you're not, you know, foolish. If it doesn't work out, you have to adjust and change. But, um, by following someone else's proven process and system, it worked. And, uh, yeah.
0: How did you work with Marcy at the beginning to make sure like she was being successful?
2: Sure. I'm
0: curious how much of your day went into that versus actually doing the work.
2: Oh, so I mean a fair amount, like when onboarding Marcy and like, it took a while for us to figure out, you know, our groove kind of, and how it was gonna flow. But um, that's part of putting faith in that third party that put this all together is what makes the, the assistant successful is, you know, she knows exactly what the expectation is. She knows how, we know how to measure the expectation. We know what to do if we're not making, if it's not being met. There's resources available if you're having trouble, so that's why it was successful. Not because I figured out some super system how to manage an executive assistant, because that absolutely was not what happened. It was I put faith in this company who had it down, had it wired, and you know it was right. It goes back to like if, if I hire, if a client hires me, but then they don't listen to me at all, and the whole thing blows up and fails, like that's kind of their fault, right? Like, so it's the same, like if I hired this company to to source an assistant, but I don't listen to them and I go against everything they say, well, of course it's gonna fail. Same right. with, with Latchel, if you get a client and then they wanna rework all your processes, there's no way, it's not gonna work, so. Yeah. Just, I mean, in this day and age, it's hard to trust people you don't know and new things, but you know, there is a certain amount of that required.
0: What do you think uh, on the growth side, was the biggest help to you, or, or maybe another way to put it is like, is there anything you did that removed a hurdle to your growth?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, one of, the, I mean, the whole reason we're talking is um, the maintenance nightmare. So mm-hmm. you can't grow. You cannot focus on growing your business, on on lead generation, on sales process, all the stuff that's required to grow. It, You can't do that if you're bogged down in the weeds on like, you know, vendors and work orders and problems and upset tenants and pissed off owners. Like if you're bogged down in that, which we absolutely were for years, you can't focus on growth. So there's another book I read on constraints, theory of constraints or something. Basically, his thing is something's holding you back at all times and you have to find what that is. And once you identify it, then you focus your attention on it until you loosen it up, and then it allows you to go somewhere else. And then you find another constraint. Well, maintenance was a huge constraint to to our operation. Like it was the source of a lot of pro- a lot of problems, a lot of unhappy customers. So once that was solved, then I was free to go tackle the next problem. But uh, there, we're always going to have problems in our business, no matter what. There's always something to fix. But you
1: know the. Yeah. I can't remember his first name, but Goldratt is yes. the author of that theory of constraints. It's like a incredibly powerful mindset yes. and philosophy to approach any business, any operation, any problem. There's this one yeah, was, thing in, in your process.
2: Yeah, it was a boring read because it was all about manufacturing like some electronic part or something but so
0: th- uh, this this really boring stuff is actually will's wheelhouse yeah. oh. <laughs> period constraints is like a foundation to his whole career yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. oh that's funny yeah yeah so, i, I don't listen to most of my books i don't actually read them
1: but... yeah i, I, well, I if don't you're
0: driving around too all the time yeah yeah
1: yeah the the, the good intro is uh, it's called the goal a process of ongoing improvement oh
2: there you go there you go yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm terrible at these books
1: plugs. I guess. Yeah, I, it, it it is a pretty pretty dense book, uh, but it's something that for uh, the right kind of person they totally nerd out on. But I, I I always use Theory of Constraints as a recommendation for anyone. It's the first thing to look at when you're thinking about process improvement or making a business better.
0: Perfect, perfect. Internally, uh, between really just Will and myself, we call it the Eye of Sauron. It's like, where are you going to point the eye this <laughs> month? Point it to the one thing, put all your focus on the one thing, you know, improve that, then move to the next.
2: Totally. Yep. I can relate to that
0: 100 percent. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I'm kind of sorry. Well, I, 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 I want to know um, how you identify that constraint on a, a monthly, quarterly or however often you're, you're changing your focus to fix that problem. What, what, what do you go through? Uh, what John, process you said- do you go through to figure it out?
2: Yeah, I wish I could tell you there's this scientific method that I follow every time, and it just comes up and tells me exactly where to focus my attention. But it doesn't. That's not true. Um, I wish it was. I'd say. I mean, I have a really amazing team at Rencon right now, so I put a lot of um, trust in them. And you know, I meet with them monthly, and whatever feedback I want to know about problems when we meet, right? I want to know what's holding everybody back, and so some of the feedback is where I get. you know, the where I can figure out where we're going to focus on and, you know, I'd say that's probably the main one or stuff that I'm personally involved in, like I know is a problem. I know we could do better on And The the challenge is trying to fix too many things. Like the challenge is trying to fix it all. Like you need to, I don't want to say ignore some, but you, like you said, the ISR and you have to focus on something and don't take your attention off it until you fix it. Otherwise you'll never be effective. You'll just be meaningful. Never
1: anything, so. yeah. I, I like to tell the people on the lateral team, it's, it's easy to come up with a list of ideas. You can come up with ideas all day long and spend all your time coming up with ideas. It's really hard to get things done and keep, stay focused on just getting things done. So try to fi- focus on the what's done list rather than the to-do list uh, really helps us. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's also, I think there's a thing you said about what you ask uh, your team to give you is the problems. Like there's a old management saying is like, come to me with solutions, not with problems. And I think that really stifles a organization's ability to grow and change Mm -hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. really about surfacing the problem. So everyone can come together and think about what could be solutions. What is that really the problem? Can we go deeper and figure what what that is and get all the best minds on that problem rather than just saying, hey, just give me a solution. And then you have no idea what's actually going on. So really Interesting. Love to um, hear like through that process of you know I- improvements uh, using that theory of constraints, getting this feedback from your team. What would you say are some of like the the successes you're pretty proud of of really improving in your business?
2: Well, I mean, not to sound like I'm beating this one up to, just because I'm talking to you guys, but fixing maintenance was a huge win. I mean, a huge win for us. Um, I don't think about maintenance anymore. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't stress about it. If an emergency happens, I don't even, not that I don't care, but I don't drop everything and, and, you know, run around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to figure it out because I know that there's a system in place. Everyone has a procedure. This is all going to happen, whether I'm on the phone trying to find out what happened or not. Um, So I'd say fixing maintenance is a huge win for us which you guys were a big part in. So thank you for that. Um, the other one was putting together a, a star team. So I'm really happy with who we have right now. And everybody is like clicking on all c- cylinders. The team works well. It's cohesive. I mean, that's huge. Cause if you don't have that, you know, that's a big, big, big problem to solve. So I'm proud of the team. I'm proud of um, kind of, those are the two things that stand out the most.
0: I'd love to dig into your team a little bit because you've mentioned this a couple times and I'm actually kind of curious in like how many people you currently sure. have on staff. And yeah, let's start there. I'm curious, like who's on your team right now?
2: Yeah, so I we are a lean operation, right? Like I rely heavily on tech solutions and third parties. So we don't have a large staff, but we do about 140 properties. I have myself as the broker. My executive assistant, Marcy, and she does a ton of work. And then I have only one other actual, well, let me back up. So I'm in a physical office and I have one other person in the office with me. She is the leasing coordinator. She deals with leasing out the properties and dealing with tenant related issues and getting them ready to rent. Those are the only two in-house people that are sitting in our office where, where we're at today marcy is my executive assistant who works remotely she's in the midwest and then caitlin who's the leasing coordinator also has a remote virtual assistant who's down in mexico so there's four of us they're all in my mind they're all part it's all one team because they all pretty much just work for for rencon but that's it and we have capacity for probably another 50 or 60 properties without expanding our team so that's kind of what I what I see us going to before we have to turn around and hire another person. But it's important that everybody is on the same page and everybody gets along and everybody knows what everybody's done. Like everybody has a position that's clearly identified what they're responsible for and that each thing that they're responsible for is spelled out and everybody knows everybody else's responsibility. So there's never confusion or going to the wrong person or, Expecting somebody to do something that they do you know, yeah. not do their job—that kind of
1: a thing. That's such a struggle when you're small. Is uh, you have this natural instinct to have everyone just help out everywhere, and there there aren't very clear lines of responsibility. And exactly like you said, you have these implicit expectations that somebody will do something, and then if it doesn't get done, ultimately it's just yourself to blame for not setting up those guidelines and who does what. You know, what what are the lanes that? That are expected of everybody Uh, i think that's um really important even at at a company of just four people to have those kinds of expectations and not Mm -hmm. just expect everyone to jump in everywhere
2: um the other thing that i think goes this is i don't know how related that is but um what what you do when things go wrong because things go wrong i don't say all the time but mistakes happen things things sometimes don't go according to the plan or You know, someone throws a curveball at you, but it's how the company owns those mistakes or takes ownership of it. Because ultimately, it's exactly what you said, Will. If something is wrong and there's chaos and confusion, it's not their fault. It's my fault, right, for not setting it up properly and making sure everything was clearly identified. But I firmly believe in owning mistakes and never making excuses. So someone's ultimately responsible for it something right and if you're the owner of the company you, you should take ownership of the issue that happens right so I, I tell my potential clients all the time i go i can promise you we're going to make a mistake you know i'm going to make a mistake right like no one's perfect mistakes are going to happen but how you should measure my company is what i do after i make the mistake you know we're going to make it right if, if it's our problem and we made the mistake you can you don't even have to think twice about us making it right or not and I think people respect that because nobody's perfect. It doesn't matter who you are; you're going to make a mistake. I do have one story for you, which you probably don't want me to share on this um, recording, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> so, um, Watson made a mistake um, on a work order. I don't remember the details, but it was a mistake with a vendor. I don't. I don't remember the details. Regardless, it cost us like $150—an invoice that needed to be paid that was a mistake. Should never have generated. I don't remember exactly, but. I reached out to Jorge and I go, hey man, what can you take a look at this? And it's clear the the other good thing about your system is there's no hiding what happened. Like all the notes are there. You can just go back and see, oh, that's what happened. And that was Latchell's fault. Okay. So I I reached out to Jorge and I go, hey, what are we gonna do about this? You know, we're out, this money, the owner's pissed or whatever. And it was not even like a hesitation. Yep, that's our fault. We're gonna take care of it. You took that off of my monthly fee for the month, which I was, I didn't expect because most third-party service companies probably wouldn't have done that, um, but you guys did. Um, so that, big props to you guys for that. I don't know how much personal involvement you had in that. Well, I'll,
0: I'll say like when everything's transparent and right there in the in the system, you can't run from
2: <laughs> your mistakes. So. But when people ask me about Latchel, uh, cause you know, I'm in the industry groups and people ask cause you guys are relatively new. That is one of the things I tell them is yeah, they're going to screw up. They're going to make a mistake once in a while, but that doesn't, you expect that, right? Like we both know that no, no one's perfect and that maintenance in it's just the nature of the beast is a disaster and mistakes are going to get made, but they're going to make good on the mistakes. So hopefully you don't have to do that for every client, but that alone, I think has people, it resonates with people because most people get screwed when a mistakes happens, it's not theirs and they're the ones paying for it. Most companies don't go, oh yeah, you're right. Our mistake, we'll take care of it.
0: Yeah, I think um, one of the ways we've built out and I'm curious to know if you did something similar to this, we started with like a kind of a set of culture principles or we call them leadership principles, like the things we always wanna like abide by and they, they kind of are our, like moral values. And the one at the very top is called customer obsession. And to me, like, if you make a mistake and you're not willing to own up to it and resolve it, that's not customer obsessed, right? It'd basically be us telling you, yeah, we made a mistake, but you you're know, why'd you us. trust us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that would be absurd, right? Yeah. So, we're, we're when you ap- approach a problem with the promise of being the best solution and you can't live up to that yeah, sometimes we have to make good by saying, okay, we're gonna yep. at least make up for the mistake and then we're going to go try and improve it. So it never happens again. So you, yeah. you, I mean, being with us for like two years, you've probably seen like that the, the mistakes go down, 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 down over time. And eventually we'll get them to, you know, one out of every million. Sure. Sure.
2: It. It's funny you say that. Cause so that company that I hired to essentially help me find Marcy, my assistant, um, they spend an inordinate amount of time on not anything I would have expected them to spend time on, but it was your I think they call them core values. It was like one or two company core values. And then we spent a lot of time on that. Because those are these overriding kind of high level principles um, that everyone is gonna what we're gonna believe in essentially, right? and then but not beneath that was like 10 or 12 decision making guidelines cuz they're trying to unpack what's in my head so my assistant can be the best match for me right so they spend a lot of time figuring out how i solve problems what i expect what my thought process is and then once that's all down on paper then they turn around and find someone that can meet those and someone who you know is good with those
1: that's brilliant yes yeah, same-
2: thing that you're talking about a little bit but that's i think the foundation on why my relationship with marcy is so good
1: yeah so our leadership principles probably are much more closely lined with those decision making guidelines like Mm. we we use those leadership principles to help us make a decision in the moment and if we were to boil down like we have a few that we consider our absolute must-haves which anyone we're hiring into this company needs to abide by. That's Customer Obsession, Continuously Improve, and Ego is the Enemy. Um, and The Ego is the Enemy one, uh, that, that, the title comes from a book. Um, I think it's Ryan Holiday's uh, Ego is the Enemy book. It's a pretty good book, um, but I actually use another book to try to refer to the, the essence of what that one means. It's, um, that book's called The Rock Warrior's Way, so I do like bouldering and rock climbing. And um, this yeah. book is about like the zen and the, the, the philosophy behind if it. If you're not a
0: rock climber, it still applies. It's, yeah, yeah, it totally applies. It applies <laughs> to like just book. general
1: life. Um, but one of the passages that like, I think uh, covers the whole thing is like there, there may be a particular climb that's really technical, really difficult, and you're not able to get it at this particular moment. And it's really easy to get into this mindset of like, oh, I can't solve this right now because I suck, because I'm not good enough, or. Uh, you know, because I, I'm I'm failing, but you need to separate your own ego from the problem. It's not about you. It's not about you sucking. It's just simply you can't do it yet. You know, you, you, you it's it's just simply there's this challenge, and you you have yet to solve the problem. It has no reflection on your worth, no reflection on you as an individual. I think it's very easy when mistakes happen for people to make that thing, to think that it reflects on them. It reflects on their value as a person instead of just what it is. It was a mistake that happened. Now you need to own it. And it, owning it doesn't mean you're worse. It just, it just is. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what we try to uh, exe- get people to believe a lot at Latchell. If there's a mistake, it just happened. It doesn't mean you're bad.
2: That's what you do. It's how you it's, fix
1: it. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind sharing
0: your core values?
2: yeah i i should have these memorized but give me two seconds
0: (laughs) well you've had you've had marcy on the team a while i'm guessing so you probably knew him (laughs) a year ago and let me see don't feel bad i i only know like the top four or five of ours we have like 12 i think and I'd have to sit here and really think hard for a while to to name all of them.
2: I'll find them. I'll find them.
1: Yeah. The the important thing that we found helpful is to just continuously use the language again and again in every single development conversation.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: It helps, helps people grow in that way. Um, It kind of creates like a common language. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, Peter. uh, So what's that next challenge You, you talked a bit about, Marketing. Is that what your next big hurdle is opening up the new marketing pipelines, or is there anything else?
2: Um, so here's what I and I'm looking while we're talking, so hopefully you're <laughs> fine with that. Um, right I'm um, right now I'm in the process of diving deep into our sales process or or lack thereof. So I've hired a, a company, uh, Jeremy Pound is the guy who's some people know in the proper management world. He is Basically, ripping apart our sales process, building our sales process, putting the language together that's effective and standardizing it so it, there's no mystery or I don't do it different than the you know the next guy I hire. So that's what Marcy and I are currently in the middle of right now. So that is a big push for us for the rest of um, probably another month or two. Once that's in place. And we're, you know, synced up and everybody's on board with it. Then I need to focus on lead generation, which is the next kind of hurdle. We're, I'm working on. I put those two marketing streams in place at the end of last year. We're doing the sales process, and then I'm going to focus more time on generating leads. And then eventually, I want to hire a, what they call a business development manager or BDM. That
1: is such a smart way to go about that problem. I mean, you. You have marketing, so you're basically just like putting out ideas, getting, getting people that are generally aware of what Rincon is, but then you're building that process behind it. So that way, when you start filling up and opening up that funnel, you actually have a, an intelligent way to handle those leads. If you did it in yeah. the opposite direction, like you couldn't close them. You didn't have a, a repeatable routine process. And I loved how the last thing that you said that you're doing is hiring the business development manager. Like for a lot of companies, it's like I need to grow. I should hire a business development manager. No, you're putting the foundation down first. Well, then I, you're getting them fed.
2: I then wanted. I, I thought I needed to just hire someone and be done with it, but I quickly found out through research and you know networking and contacts that that would be a huge mistake because there's nothing for them to do. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to train tra- train them to do anything when you don't even know yourself, right? Yeah. Okay, I found them. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so. There are happy to share these two. The number so some, this core value came, some of it came from my frustration on what I didn't like about the um, property management industry, uh, some of the weaknesses that most companies have. So the number one core value is to be responsive and communicate frequently. So I can, that's the core value. I can give you more, I I can expand on it, but um, that's the number one. Then the number, this seems kind of silly. Maybe I should read the rest of them, but the number two is treat everyone with respect and be nice. Um, And that's both to our team members, our owners, our tenants. In our line of work, sometimes the tenants are treated as second class citizens. This has a direct financial negative impact on our owners. We'll treat tenants with the same respect and kind of so we treat our owner clients and you know, go expand some more. So th- those are them, they, they, you know, it's nothing
1: profounder. Or- I, I still think they're they're really powerful. Just having them written down in, in the first place is is incredibly powerful for your team. Anyone that you bring on this new BDM you have, you just are gonna say, boom, this is, these are our core values. This yeah. is what we believe in. And if they don't like that, you know, they, they, you, you, they can leave. Uh, yeah. or don't need to hi- get hired in the first place, but it, it's really unifying for the team, and it just really helps to know what's important here. I and I also love how you added that des- descriptive uh, language after that to expand beyond just a headline. I yeah, think. so there actually
2: there's the core value, which is like five or six words. Then there's a description about it, and then there's a story on how it should be applied. Which we don't have, probably don't have time to read all that, but so there's oh, two. I love
0: that idea. Yeah, there's two of them. There's we a, should do that at Latchell. Yeah, We don't have the story behind ours.
2: I, yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. That was, came from that company that was, I'd have to, I should be plugging his name, to be honest with you. Maybe we can put it in your notes or something.
1: Afterwards. Yeah, absolutely should. Yeah. We, we might hit him up too. Uh, just cause, oh, uh, awesome.
2: It's the best money I ever spent. Um, I don't have enough good things to say.
0: So, yeah. Maybe we can wrap up with a couple like pieces of advice that you'd give to property managers starting out looking to break that hundred door mark
2: let me before i do that let me plug this guy because i feel bad
0: <laughs> okay if you have this information please yeah.
2: yeah 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 i i have the website i'm looking for his name uh, the name of the company is great assistant
1: what's what's the website
2: Greatassistant.com. okay all one word timothy francis is his name okay yeah greatassistant.com timothy francis he, he's he speaks a lot and done podcasts and whatnot which is where i saw him originally but um great yeah you can't go wrong
1: all right well awesome. he'll, he'll be getting at least one call from latchell so.
2: <laughs> good good good
1: and maybe from a few other people <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay what were you you were asking me something
0: so maybe the advice is go talk to Timothy Francis from great assistant, but what pieces of advice would you give to like startup property managers looking to get to that hundred doors?
2: Oh, I, um, join all the industry groups, NARPM. Um, there's a ton of Facebook groups that are just of property management. Uh, people that own property management companies, not necessarily property managers are really good. Because the one thing this industry is good about is sharing information. So there's no one, I mean, I don't think my direct competitors in my town would just open their books up for me, but um, any of the other companies that belong to these associations, they are literally an open book and they want to save you the time and the headaches that they went through. All you have to do is ask. I mean, sometimes you don't have to ask. You just look on Facebook in these groups and there's just a plethora of information You've whatever you're going through, guaranteed a hundred people went through it before you and most of them figured it out. Um, so just keep an open mind, right? Um, don't be afraid of of what you don't know or owning what you don't know, because you know there's a lot that you don't know. Um and then don't be afraid of outsourcing. So I see a lot of people are afraid of outsourcing, um, particularly to people who have operations overseas or in other countries um but don't be afraid it's it's not that hard to do Um, there are some things i don't outsource like you know the direct contact with our owners is generally something care of but um yeah self-showing lock boxes is a huge time saver Uh, get rid of maintenance wipe it completely off your plate with the solution like you guys um And then just network and talk to other people in your shoes because they're all willing to help.
1: Thank you, Peter. Really, really appreciate the time and the insights and the stories. It was a real pleasure talking with you.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's been, I've had a good time as well.
0: Awesome. So if you want to check out Rincon Property Management, go to rinconmanagement.com, R-I-N-C-O-N, management.com. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about Latchell, just go to Latchel.com, book a demo with us. Peter, we might ask you to come back to share even more information. We got a lot of good stuff here. Love the book recommendations. Uh, love the recommendation to Great Assistant. There's probably a lot of other good stuff in your head that at some point will want to come out and get more of it. But thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure.
2: No, the pleasure was all mine. I, I'm happy to, happy to do it, and I wish you guys the best. Thanks, Peter. All
0: right. See you, everyone, next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to lateral.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is, so go do that as soon as you can. Thanks everyone. See you back next week.